Weirdo bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. genre junkies it's sandra and this is scott and we're back with another very very special and exciting episode because we have another author interview we just have them lined up back to back oh my gosh it is so freaking cool there is nothing quite like reading a book and then talking to the person who wrote it like i know that sounds really dumb and like oversimplified but it's so true It absolutely is. And as always, all of the authors we talk to are wonderful. And tonight's is no exception. Yes. So tonight we talked to Alexis Henderson, who is a brand new debut author um, about her horror novel, The Year of the Witching. So this is super, super exciting stuff. And Alexis was absolutely amazing. The um, interview is spoiler free. So after you listen to this part, you can still listen to the interview. And then we'll warn you that it's spoiler time. You all know how this works by now. Yes. Yes. I'm trying to think if there's anything we must tell the people before we start. Um, I guess I want to do a little shameless plug, if I may. Yeah. So besides this show, Genre Junkies, the one you're listening to, um, I have two other shows you can listen to. And this next episode, well, it's it's going to be out by the time you listen to this, of Spooky Slumber Party, which is one with me and my two best school friends where we discuss all things horror and horror adjacent and feminist and awesome. We have an episode on the film Jennifer's Body. And I love all of our episodes, all of our content, but this one I think is probably one of our best episodes yet. And you produced that show, so I guess you could probably back up that claim. I can back up that claim. It's a very good episode, and Jennifer's Body is a fascinating movie to talk about. Also... Um, if you want to listen to me even more, uh, you have two options. You can watch The Cult Show on YouTube, or you can listen to The Cult Show as a podcast, which is all about cult films, especially horror. So there you go, Neil. There's your plug. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to talk about the shows, and I've mentioned them before in other episodes, but I thought, you know what, for my roundtable share... I'm just going to remind people who might be new listeners or, you know, it's just been a while that there's other ways you can absorb me <laughs> <laughs> as content. And Scott um, works on both of those shows behind the scenes. So, I mean, we all know, let's be honest, you're here for Sandra Stop. and the no, cat. They're, no, they're not. They're, you're well, they're here, here, here for, for Sandra and the cat. They're here for so you. you can get a lot more Sandra in a lot of other places. Oh, stop. They're here for you. They're here for the cat and they're here for Jalapeno the Caterpillar. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about this novel, The Year of the Witching. A young woman living in a rigid puritanical society discovers dark powers within herself in this stunning feminist fantasy debut. In the lands of Bethel, where the prophet's word is law, Emmanuel Moore's very existence is blasphemy. Her mother's union with an outsider of a different race cast her once proud family into disgrace. So Emmanuel does her best to worship the father, follow holy protocol, and lead a life of submission, devotion, and absolute conformity, like all the other women in the settlement. But a mishap lures her into the forbidden dark woods surrounding Bethel, where the first prophet once chased and killed four powerful witches. 
Their spirits are still lurking there, and they bestow a gift on Emmanuel, the journal of her dead mother, who Emmanuel is shocked to learn once sought sanctuary in the wood. Fascinated by the secrets in the diary, Emmanuel finds herself struggling to understand how her mother could have consorted with the witches. But then she begins to learn grim truths about the church and its history. Dot, dot, dot. That's right. Well, we all know Sandra liked this book because it's a backdoor cult story. <laughs> not, not only not exactly. No. There well, I mean it is it is a cult. It is a cult, definitely. Um it's witchy. It's kind of anti-organized religion. It's dark. It's got some creepiness. It has a mysterious dark wood. It has an amazing strong female protagonist. Um yeah, yeah, it's safe to say Sandra freaking <laughs> loved this book. So this book for me was absolutely okay. This oh, so that's an obsession. Obsession. E- oh, oh, you're gonna okay. Yeah, I-, I was gonna let you go go after me. <laughs> no, that was kind of my that was kind of my pitch. <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all that it is an obsession for you. I am having trouble. I- I've been thinking about this for a while, and I am going to make up a brand new. Uh, no. Yep, mm-hmm. I'm you making a brand new that. one. This book is rhythmic. Stop it. You need to you need to con- <laughs> We need a little conformity here. Give the genre junkies their score. Okay. If, if I'm going to say page turner. Fabulous. But um talk to us about your your rhythmic though. This book, you know, I've read other books like this, but but this book excels at kind of working through like a like a peaks and valleys sort of structure mm-hmm. where there's like kind of like a peaceful discussion period and then bam something exciting happens and then there's this, like this peaceful discovery period and bam a big moment happens it it just has a really great flow to it that it's like riding on the waves that mm-hmm. i really dug yes um some of that is kind of reminiscent of something we're going to talk to alexis about in the interview where there's something that feels very old world to me about this it feels very classic literature to me about this mm-hmm. and, and that kind of feels like the same thing yeah that makes sense i i i think i understand what you're saying so um before we get too much more into this we wanted to to say a little something too so scott and i are not black <laughs> If you've seen us, perhaps you know that's true. And we have brought this up before. Um, But we are not. And there is a large theme in this book about being Black, Emmanuel is Black. And um, it's very important to the story. And we always encourage everybody to read diversely and to read from a point of view and walk of life that is not your own. Because like, hi, that's what books are for. Um, They make you a better person. But we always encourage you to seek out some own voices reviews as well. I think it's very important to not only, as you said, read diversely, but listen diversely as well and i mm-hmm. i agree yes so just just a reminder we're not black <laughs> <laughs> so yeah emmanuel is black she has dark skin she has raven black curls she um looks like the type of people that are known in bethel as the outsiders all the other black folks yeah who are you know treated as lesser than i believe they're 
they're actually called they're called sinners yeah. many times. They are pariahs to the society of all of the um presumably white people that are in Bethel. And so her mom was um was a white lady, but her dad is black. And she looks different than everybody else because she lives in Bethel proper. She does not live on the outskirts. And she's caught between two worlds where she's not really accepted by either. And you can only imagine, and of course, this is real for some for some people, but what it's like to not look like everyone else and to be treated as such. And it's a huge character point for Emmanuel. Yeah. So since we're already talking about Emmanuel, um, we don't want to get into spoilers, of course. But needless to say, she is a very, very interesting heroine. She is the most interesting person in this book. She's fascinating. She's really well written and and incredibly relatable. It's um it's interesting because we see her struggling against her society and this is one of those, you know, societies that we read about and hear about in real life and in books where it is so rigorous and like the punishment for thinking independently for thinking differently than the church is um abhorrent torture death so it's like we're watching this brilliant young woman kind of struggle against what she quote unquote knows to be right but but wanting to find out more, and especially because it connects to her family, her parents. So one thing that I want to point out very strongly is this book is dark. Yes. Um, it's it's written as a horror as well as a fantasy. Like yes. there's there's a it actually follows much more of a fantasy storyline mm-hmm. than it does anything else yeah it's that juicy dark horror that we love i i actually liken the feeling of it not setting but feeling to three dark crowns yes 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 i i got a lot of similar vibes um i love that yeah i can totally pick that up and um much like kendar uh alexis has a beautiful descriptive way about her that's really satisfying to read yeah, her descriptions are juicy. <laughs> you yes, know they what are. I mean? They're, yeah. Uh, although the food, there is a scene in the book where I feel like she could have spent about three more pages describing the feast. If, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Okay, but you know what? I think part of that is the food in Bethel sucks. <laughs> I know. I know. It didn't sound very appetizing at any point. It's not the courtly deliciousness that our, our queens out in Fenburn get to enjoy. But um, that's okay because, I mean, they are a simple folk. I'm sure ostentatious food would be considered like some sort of a dark sin or something. Like, I mean, they're not allowed anything but like like a hen and like a corn cake. I mean, it's, it sucks there. Oh, man, I have so many comments about the setting that I have to save for the spoiler section that it's driving me nuts. Okay, I'm going okay. to I'm going to I'm going to start one of those thoughts with the the setting is beautiful. Yes. In a way that you want to be there, even though you shouldn't. <laughs> mm, I think I, I think I know what you mean. I am so fascinated 
by this world that Alexis has created. It's like, I want to be like a fly on the wall there. Like, I mean, I I would be 100% burned as the heretic I am. Like, I don't stand a snowball's chance in hell in Bethel. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm a witch. I'm a heathen. I am, no, I am not cut out for Bethel. But I want to be there and I want to see it. I'm a creature of the dark wood. But I want to see Bethel because it's laid out for me in such a fascinating way. Yeah, with a lot of uh, and and it and she borrows from a lot of different uh, historical ideas when it comes to uh, when it comes to land ownership, when it comes to debt, when it comes to uh, spiritual beliefs, all of that kind of stuff. We actually talked to Alexis in the interview about all the cool, um, real esoteric, occult, uh, witchy practitioner, mystic stuff and references that's in this book. And you can tell she's a person that really loves and reveres that. And it's a real treat to to read that through her eyes. Should we do our uh, appeal scores? Yes. Okay. So for me, I'm going to go um, broad on this. Probably not mass because I think some of the uh, the blood and the darkness might turn a few people's stomachs. So um, those people should probably just wait outside the, the holy gates of Bethel for <laughs> the rest of us. But um, I think this speaks a lot about fem- feminism and about social justice and about horror and fantasy in a really lush, beautiful, compelling way. And I cannot wait to talk more about it in the spoiler section. This was one of my most anticipated books of the year. And I really think it's for a broad audience. I agree that it's for a broad audience. It's one of those books that I really want to give a mass score to. But it is very, one, it's dark, which is not always, does not always mean that you're not going to get a mass appeal uh, score. And there is a lot of, there is violence. And I will note, I am going to have a uh, trigger warning at the very beginning of the spoiler section if you're on the fence. Uh, that said, the thing that I think puts it into broad more than anything else is it is it does have the potential to be offensive to the extremely religious. It is very upfront and forward about its its uh, uh, in front of its uh, allegories towards religion. But you know what? <laughs> little devil's devil's advocate that i am i think if you're extremely religious you should read this oh, book <laughs> again appeal has nothing to do with with who should read a book i know i, I know yeah i i know it, um his dark materials is a perfect example of mm. mass appeal that there's just some people can't handle that. Some people will not be able to hang yeah. with Philip Pullman. So, like, I, I'm on the fence. I want to give it a mass, but because of the violence and the upcoming trigger warning and the, you know, criticism to organized religion, um, I'm going to go in the broad category as well. All right, everybody. We are so proud and honored to present our interview with the absolutely delightful magical Alexis Henderson. And when you're done hearing us gush to Alexis about how freaking cool she is, come back and join us in the spoiler section. Enjoying the show? 
please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. All right, Johnny Junkies, please welcome Alexis Henderson, author of her debut novel, The Year of the Witching. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk about this book and to talk to you. This is one of my most anticipated reads of the year. So that's always really, really exciting when that day finally comes and you get to read the book. I am so flattered. Thank you. (laughs) So my first question that I have to ask just right off the bat is, what is it that attracts you to horror and speculative fiction? I've had kind of a fascination with um, the dark, spooky things for as long as I can remember. Um, And I I attribute that to the fact that I'm um, deeply anxious, um, just as a human. (laughs) And and so I feel, I think a part of me kind of feels like I'm conquering my fears by um, indulging myself in horror, which is like a very contained, safe way to be afraid. Um, so I, I feel like it kind of gives me mastery over my like day-to-day anxieties um, when I can kind of control the landscape in which I um, take in things that scare me. Oh, I actually really love that answer. <laughs> that that gives me something to chew on because I'm kind of the same way. <laughs> is that is that the kind of books that you normally read as well? Most of the books that I read do have kind of like a dark edge. Um, so I read in a lot of different genres. I love um, I love thrillers. I love mysteries. I love fantasy. But I think that the books that I love most, all of them tend to kind of lean a little bit dark um, for the most part. Oh, good, good, good. I um, We relate to that because, I mean, obviously here on the show, we do horror, fantasy, sci-fi, kind of darker things. But um, I'm definitely like the type where I need a little I need a little darkness. <laughs> I feel that. Um, So this is, of course, your debut novel. But way, way back when, what was the first story you ever remember writing? Were you one of those kids that was always a writer? Yes, actually. And um, this is this is funny question, because I'm I'm in the process of moving. And I recently rediscovered my what I affectionately call my first novel, which was um, it was like, I don't know if you know that series Warrior Cats. Of course. uh, Yeah. So it was like Warrior Cats, but with lions. um, And they were like trying to find their friend who was like lost on the savannah in Africa. And I was like thumbing through it. But yeah, that would be my first like, I think, attempt at a novel. I was very proud of it um, at like 10 years old. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. It was kind of almost almost a fanfic. Basically, yeah, I was a Warrior Cats fan fiction. I was a huge fan of Warrior Cats, so I still am, actually. Oh my gosh, it is so funny. Like when, like, there were so many of those books, and it really shaped a lot of people. Those Warrior Cats. Yes, I was so invested, and I, I think I'm going to reread Warrior Cats um, <gasps> once I have the time because I just love it. I think it's so good. <laughs> That makes me happy. So there's a lot of symbolism in the book that's uh, indicative of real occult and mystical witchcraft symbols. Where did you draw your symbolic inspiration? I I did a lot of research kind of um, broadly about a lot of different 
practices. And I, I kind of knew that I didn't want my um, magic system to be directly inspired by any one specific practice. So I kind of took this kind of like um, collective approach to like witchcraft and the occult and sort of picked things that I kind of liked or allowed myself to be inspired by certain things. So it really was kind of like just broadly inspired by a lot of the the magical practices or, or um beliefs and faith, different ways of practicing the faith that I, I found um, intriguing. I love that. I'm, we both totally noticed a lot of it because we're, we're into learning about esoteric stuff. I myself am a practitioner and like, it just felt very like, it just felt very authentic in a lot of ways. So, so commendable. Thank you. Thank you. Also, kind of on that note, too, talking about the novel, um, social justice is one of the heartbeats of this novel. Did you set out to write a novel about social justice or was that just kind of a byproduct of the story? It was definitely a byproduct of the story. So uh, when I wrote the first draft, I was seeing everything through Emmanuel's perspective and Emmanuel doesn't really understand how, how sick her world is because it's all she's ever known. She's kind of indoctrinated. So um, through the process of writing the book, I was able to understand the darkness of the world. Um, and it was kind of revealed to me as it was being revealed to her. And so at the end of the book, I was like, oh, my God, like this, <laughs> this is kind of like reminiscent of our, you know, messed up, twisted world. But I didn't realize that when I first started um, the draft. Wow, that gosh, you know what, I kind of was hoping that was your answer, because it rings so incredibly true. Like hearing you say that, um, I absolutely fell in love with Emmanuel. I, th I thought she was incredible, incredible. Is she based on anybody that you know? How did you draw Emmanuel to life? I, Emmanuel, she was so close to my heart. And I don't, I don't know how similar we are in that she's so brave and I, I admire that about her character, but I, I have like a lot of um, strong people, strong women in my life. Um, Emmanuel's middle name, Marie, is actually my the middle name of my mother and my sister who are both kind of like incredibly strong and they're brave. And so I think she was kind of the culmination of like a lot of the people that I look up to or things that I wish I could embody or be. I, I'm, I often say that I want to grow up um, and become like Emmanuel, because I think that her resilience is very, very commendable. Um, so yeah. You want to grow up to be your character. I like that. Me too. <laughs> she's kind of funny because she's younger than me, but I want, I feel like she sets that bar high. So I, wanna, I would love to be like her. Do you consider this novel a dystopian? Oh, ooh, good question. I, I, I think it sort of is. I love dystopian um, fiction. Um, Brave New World is one of my favorite books. Mm. And so I think that that basis or inspiration is definitely there. Um, I didn't know it while I was writing it, obviously, that it was a dystopian. But I think that an argument could be made that, yes, it is for sure. Yeah, like when I was reading it, I, I know like, because Scott and I don't discuss the books until the episode. So it's always, you know, kind of tricky to bounce stuff off of people. But I was like, is this in the future? Is this in an alternative world? It really gave me a lot to think about. I'm glad. I, the world, yeah, and those sort of unanswered questions about like what, like what um, space is this occupy in time? Is it the future? Is it the past? Is it like the second world? Those are still things I'm wrestling with. And I'm kind of glad that... Um, people are also sort of intrigued by that because I it's part of what drew me to um, the story in the first place was that sort of like vagueness about um, the place 
So. so so talking about the place and the setting and there's a lot of lore in this book that's just been kind of created whole cloth by you i, I want to know how what your process is to actually come up with this really rich history and 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 world oh, it was it was a, a long process it involved um a lot of research um from everything from like religious research to uh, research into like um, religious abuse, brainwashing and that sort of thing. Um, I, I researched um, like uh, the structures of the church and architecture. I researched like pretty much everything that you could research. I researched shepherding and all of it. <laughs> and so I kind of built the world like from on the ground up and I tried to follow the things that felt most organic to the story and most organic to a manual. And I, when things sort of lended themselves to the world, I kind of pursued them and tried to develop them. And um, yeah, but certainly there were some elements that just kind of were f- developed fully formed. Like the dark wood um, was the, one of the first um, earliest images that I, I got of the story. And so that almost kind of was just there. And I um, worked around it and kind of created the world around that, that uh, the shadow of the dark wood. It's so interesting because it really, um, a map started to kind of form in my head as I read the book. And yeah, it's very interesting when your characters don't know their geography, really, you know, so it's like, it's, you're both learning it together, kind of like you said earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that also like, that helped with that power imbalance where, this like lack of knowledge about like where they are and how they fit into the world really um, kind of forces these people to put their faith in the prophet and church because they, they know so little and it's kind of part of this like, you know, indoctrination process that um, keeps um, the people of Bethel oppressed. Mm. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> In a good way, ugh. <laughs> um, so you are from the South, and um, I just love asking authors like about where you're from and how that influenced you as a writer and as a storyteller. Oh, the South is, it's a really interesting place to grow up. I, I feel like it's so haunted. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's kind of hard. I think it would be hard to be in the South and grow up here and not kind of have a fascination with like, you know, gothic literature and and ghost stories, because I think that that sort of vibe permeates um, really all parts of the South. There's a lot of history here. Um, and, and I feel like you can feel it. And that um, definitely has shaped me as, um, as a writer, as a creator. Um, I, I feel like really inspired by it. And um, the South also has like a lot of, of course, darkness too. It has a very bloody, dark mm. past. And I think that that also really has affected the way that I kind of approach stories um, and, and my my view of the world too. Um, so I can definitely see the South, like the fingerprints of the South um, mm-hmm. in, in, in the year of the witching. I love that. I love that idea of just being surrounded by ghost stories. <laughs> so I'm curious what your writing process looks like and specifically what your favorite step of your writing process is. Ooh, um, so I tend to write the first draft pretty quickly. Mm. It's normally quite short and it's in a way kind of like a bare bones draft. Um, and then I do, um, I do subsequent drafts after that. So I have, um, drafts that kind of bulk up the story or maybe, um, one draft where I focus on characters and one draft where I focus on the world. 
But I think my favorite part is is weirdly editing and revising because really yeah because I love to see it come together and I always say that that's when it starts to feel like a book and so that I think is deeply rewarding because it's maybe like the first time where I'm like oh this is going to work and it, it could be a book and it does feel like it's book shaped and like it's getting there <laughs> so yeah I love that it's book shaped it's not like a flat like thing in your mind anymore it's like yeah it's getting filled out exactly it's so it's I think it's just a relief to know that like um, after all the time and effort you put into it that it is it is something yeah so during this absolutely insane time of living through a pandemic has that inspired your creative process or how have you how have you been as a creator dealing with this oh I wish it had inspired my creative <laughs> process. I, I hope that maybe in like a two or three years, I'll look back and, and be able to draw like a lot of inspiration from this. But for, for now, it's, I think, um, just kind of like stressful to try to block out um, all of the, the noise and the chaos and, and write. Um, it feels like there's so many important things that are competing for my attention, like more important things and, um, you know, books that I'm working on, um, that kind of compete for my attention right now due to this pandemic. So it's definitely, um, pushing me to my creative limits. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to be disciplined, I think in the midst of all of this and write because there's just so much going on and there's so much to worry about. Yeah, and that seems to be, um, gosh, the authors we talk to, it's almost like 50-50. Some people are like, oh, it forced me, <laughs> you know, and then other people are like, no, are you kidding? I've become unraveled. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, it's, you're not alone. It's an interesting time to be a creator for sure, for sure. Definitely. How's it been to have your debut novel come out during a pandemic? You know, that has been, I, I thought that I was going to look back on this and say like, oh God, it was so like, it was horrible. And like, you know, kind of feel, I don't know, just kind of like lost in the midst of all of this. But honestly, people have been so wonderful to me and so um, excited for the book. And I felt so like supported and surrounded by like joy and like happiness and like comfort and like other authors have kind of like commiserated with me about the pandemic and it's been a wonderful debut process I I almost feel bad saying that in light of everything going on it feels weird to be like joyful and happy about something but um I've had a great experience debuting in the midst of a pandemic which is something I thought I would never say but um <laughs> People are wonderful. So um, I've, I, yeah, I felt, I felt really supported every step of the way. It's so important for people to feel joy, even in difficult times. And I'm glad that, that you're, you're getting that joy with this because it's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a whirlwind, but like in a good way, uh, the, the publishing part, not the pandemic part. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we talked a little bit about books and kind of what you're drawn to. But could you share with us some of your favorite books and authors? And then we love to ask this horribly mean question of, is there a novel out there that you wish you'd written? <laughs> you're like, oh, man, why didn't I think of that? Oh, okay. So this one's a two-parter. I think it answers mm -hmm. both. But if um, my one of my favorite books and the book that I wish I'd written is The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin, because oh! it is like one of the best, the best thing I've ever read. I don't, I just, I can't get enough of that book. I can't believe like 
that she was able to do that, like with a novel. I don't, I just want to occupy her brain space for one day. I feel like it would be like a full PhD education. Just give me 24 hours in her head while she's writing and I would learn so much. I'm the biggest fan. So I think, yeah, that's the book that I, I really, really love and wish that I had written um, as well. Uh, I also really love The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Um, I think it's brilliant. Um, well, there's just, there's so many. Um, oh, I was, I, I am, wasn't am a pretty big fan of um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo um, by Steve Larson. It's dark. It's really, really good. I love um, Elizabeth Slander. It's like one of my favorite characters. So that's a, that's a favorite too. Oh, that's a good pick. Yeah, that's a fantastic trilogy. And yeah, good, good picks. Um, I kind of, I don't know why, but a lot of when I was reading you, uh, I felt like, kind of almost a like a Dickensian thing kind of like a lot of really classic feel as well I was just wondering if that was something you like is that kind of really old school <laughs> stuff I love uh class I love the classics I love period pieces like the movies and and so I think there is I didn't want it to kind of feel like it was like steeped in in um history kind of like rooted um there yeah, that was like an important to me that it kind of felt alive during, you know, its time, even though the time frame is vague. I wanted that to kind of I want people to kind of pick it up and feel like to get those vibes from the story for sure. Cool. Well, that was a success. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So when you're writing stories, do you do you find things surprising you as you go or is it something that you have planned out? I'm always almost always surprised. Um, I'm I want to be an outliner and a plotter, but I I kind of pants my way through every story that I write. It's just um, <laughs> I feel like I'm just a little bit chaotic. So I start with the best intentions, and normally I do start with a full outline, and then within like two or three chapters, it just all goes to hell, and um, <laughs> and I'm just kind of like flying by the seat of my pants, like praying that it all works out by the last act of the book. So. Oh, that is awesome. I mean, I, it's so cool. There's two sides to both processes. It's cool when people plot it out. And it's cool when Emmanuel's telling you like, no, 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 I'm doing this now. Yeah, I, I think both I think both sides like tend to envy the other. Um, I certainly envy those who can kind of like, you know, outline their whole book from um, before they even like write the first page. I think that that's amazing. So, um, yeah. <laughs> It's like, I think there's strengths to both. Um, and I guess as long as it gets done, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Now we can hide this question in the spoiler section, but I did have a question for you. It's kind of spoilery. We were doing some digging on Instagram and we saw that uh, you suggested there would be a sequel to this novel. That is correct. Ah! Yes, there a sequel. Yeah, I'm writing it right now. Ah, oh my gosh. I almost want to be like, okay, hang up. She's got to go right. <laughs> go write my next book. <laughs> yeah, I I'm I'm really excited. I didn't think that um for the longest time that I would like be allowed or able to write a sequel. So, um but it was a two book deal when it first sold and so it was really amazing because for the first time I kind of like opened my brain to the possibility that the world could get bigger and that I would have more time with the characters. Um and yeah, it's still something that I'm kind of reveling in and, and really excited um, about. It just feels surreal that I get to continue telling a manual story. That's really cool. And, it, and it, it, you know, you said that, it you know, you never felt like you'd be, be in the position to write a sequel. What has surprised you the most about this experience? Oh, I, 
it was kind of well, from the writing perspective, it's kind of um, it's surprising how much I, I care and how at home I feel with these characters who I really feel have grown with me. Mm. And my attachment to them is almost like it, it, it feels like a kinship or like family almost. So that is kind of surprising to me, the way that stories can kind of grow to become a part of you. And um, so, yeah, that's been rewarding. And then from from the publishing side, just pe- how kind people are and how genuinely like excited that um, they are for my book has been um, so fulfilling and rewarding and just mind boggling that people like care about my characters the way that I do or see what I saw in the story um, when I first started writing it. That's amazing to me. I, I can't get over it. Oh, wow. That is really magical. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap up and let you go. But before we do, <laughs> where can our listeners find you? Uh, related question. When are you coming to Northern California? <laughs> have, I would love to come to Northern California anytime. We have this we awesome hang out. We have this awesome, huge sectional couch. We always offer it to the authors. When you're in town, just come on by. I would love that. I've been wanting to go to Northern California for ages now. So if I'm ever there, we'll definitely have to hang out for sure. That would be so fun. And I've never been to the South and I'm like a huge Southern Gothic horror nut. So you'll have to show me around over there too. Yes, definitely. You should come. Um, Savannah, George, I recommend it Ah! (laughs) for all of the spooky things. As for where you can find me, I'm on Twitter at Alex H. Wrights. And then Instagram is Lexis H. Um, so L-E-X-I-S-H. And you have a very aesthetically pleasing Instagram, too. I have to say. Well curated. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's um, it's a struggle to kind of keep the theme. I might have to change it soon. But um, <laughs> thank you. All right, Alexis. Thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute amazing pleasure. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. It was great talking to you guys. I had so much fun. Okay, I promised a trigger warning. So before we go into the rest of the spoilers, uh, trigger warning for uh, suggested child abuse. Oh, yes. There are strong themes of child abuse in this book. Um, of specifically... As well as grooming. You, that's what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. So it actually really is grooming. Yeah. And people in positions of power taking advantage of others. So you have been warned. Let's go. Now let's- <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, this book, this, this book. book. This book of is course, so good. <laughs> I cried like twice in this book. You know how I cry. Everybody knows how I cry. I don't generally sob. I do like, I get like a little single tear that goes down my cheek, but um, it's not totally unusual for me to have that reaction to books. And I had it twice. I had it twice in here. Um, Good job, Alexis. And oh my God, isn't she lovely and brilliant? She is so sweet is the best word I can use. Like, so cool. I really want to hang out with her in real life. I'm like, ghost hunting with Alexis. It's like, yes. just like what I want to do. <laughs> so can this stupid pandemic just be over so I can live my best life ghost hunting with Alexis Henderson? I mean, we live in the best place in the world. And this is the first time that I've wanted to go to the author. <laughs> <laughs> Take us with you. Okay, so... 
um, as I said, it's this is one of my most anticipated books of the year. And that's really tricky. I know that is because like you get your heart, get your hopes up, get your heart thumping. And oh my God, isn't it wonderful when it pays off when you have big expectations. Um, this book took a turn for me that I was like, oh, what? Uh-huh. And it also took, well, it took a couple of those turns. So I, I I was surprised. Like I did not know as much about it, but I knew that it was witchy, and I knew that 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 was that was what excited you so much about it. And I was I was surprised at the way that the you know witchiness was presented. Like the the actual idea of following the mother and doing spells is not evil, but what she but the master she ends up serving not on purpose <laughs> but in this book the, the 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 four the four witches the four witches they're not good they yeah. were not good no no and there's so much there there's a lot there uh, she says as she sits staring at her pile of tarot cards <laughs> um here's the thing so i'm a i'm a witchy i'm a witchy woman and <laughs> that's how i roll but i am not part of any um religion and i don't like religion i've said that on this podcast before i'm i'm not a fan of organized religion and that's nothing against you i love that you have organized religion if you're listening to this but it's it's just one of those things for me and i was so upset at first with you alexis that the witches were not these wonderful wonderful creatures that were to be revered um that's not to say anything against the dark mother just like we're not really saying anything against the holy father exactly but the message that i took from this the message that i took from this i took away two things one is that any sort of people any sort of in-betweeners priests priestesses what have you um are not to be trusted if they say you need them to tap into the source run don't walk (laughs) and i also got a lot of themes of be your own god yes which i love 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 that so those were my two big takeaways after i was done pouting that the witches were (laughs) bad guys even though i mean they're they had the right intention and it even says that but it got perverted well, it's one of those things where it, it feels like to me that the actual the actual great war yes. that that happened between the witches and and Bethel, yeah. I don't I don't get the impression that they were they were the 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 destructive people that they became in death at that point. Right, they were they like probably, trying to save. They it. were like pro- pretty much on the on the right side if Bethel was anything then like it is now. Yeah, but. Because of the way that they were slaughtered and the way that that Bethel just destroyed everything that they believed in, mm-hmm. they became they became spiteful in death. Yes, they became anti-humanity. Yes. Um, and just like how on the church side, you know, they're so cruel and punishing and controlling. And it's just like nobody's got this right. Nobody has got this thing right. And we need a hard reset. And that's where Emmanuel comes in. (laughs) Um, Can I just gush for one moment about the witches, though? Oh, yes. Okay, let's start in the order we meet them. So there's Jael and Mercy, the lovers, which we love. We love a sapphic moment here in Genre Junkies. We are (laughs) pro that. Um, 
love the description of them. Magical. I was charmed. Delilah, our drowned water, watery siren. My favorite. Your favorite. Uh, she came to life so vividly for me. And you can just see yourself being like, yes, I'll stay here under the water with you. You're my friend. Um, So enticing, so captivating. And then we have my favorite, which is Lilith. <sighs> I sigh, I swoon. <laughs> she has a stag head. <laughs> She is everything. Um, Alexis, I hope it's cool with you if I get Lilith tattooed because kind of obsessed. Yeah. Kind oh, obsessed. this is a book I'm really excited to see the fan art for. My God, please tag us in all the fan art. Please, 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 please. Um, also, kind of on the other side of the witches. Uh, I okay, so we all know I'm a plant-based person and I adore animals. Scott adores animals too. Um, we're big animal rights people in this house. Mm -hmm. However, I could not get enough of the slaughter and the blood. <laughs> And that gutting and that uh, oh, it's so good. They're really brutal to animals in this book. There's a lot of sacrifice and yes. and a lot of a lot of honesty when it comes to how um how how animals are processed in that sort of thing. Which brings me mm -hmm. to I want to talk about the setting a little bit. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, you've been excited to do that. This world of Bethel is. Basically, a cottage core dream. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, cottage core so hot right now, Alexis. This was kismet. And it's like it's such a shit. It, it's <laughs> woo. Almost said a swear. It's such. I know. It's such a crummy, <laughs> um, like situation that they're all in. Like this very patriarchal, incredibly, um, uh. Okay, you you can help me with this. What is what is the word for like the 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 European system of like kings and dukes and and they have their lands and a fiefdom? A fiefdom, yes. It's it, uh it's it's like a fiefdom where there's like there's there's the privileged people who kind of own the land and yeah. and the people who are actually farming have to pay them and which is really ties to the church and I'm using air quotes, but it's yeah. that's what I mean when she like pulls from so many different Yes. inspirations yes so it's like it's really crummy that you know they have this flock and they can't afford anything because they have to pay all these tithes to the to the you know duchies and things <laughs> um, and it's like so yeah you want to go back to you know the old days or go into the forward you know whatever and live this cottage core life yeah is it really all that great <laughs> There's a lot of it that leaves something to be desired, including um, you gotta have good Wi-Fi. I mean, I think we all can't live without Wi-Fi. Let's let's be honest. Um, so setting, I've been you know thinking about this and turning it over in my head uh, ever since we've read the book, talked to Alexis, the whole deal, and I do think all a uh, Handmaid's Tale. This is extreme American future is kind of where I've settled. That's where I've settled as well. It, yes. This is this is the this is um this is dystopian to me. Yes. And and even then I'm still not sold on it. Even then I I, <laughs> I question my own decision. But that's that's brilliant. I mean, I love that that it elicits that reaction for me that I have a hard time placing it. I have a hard time imagining the scope of Bethel. And I think that is a good thing 
because much like our heroine, Emmanuel, this is we're not given answers. We're not given knowledge. Yeah. And I really like questioning that with her and with her other characters too, Ezra and everybody who's like, what's in, what's out there? What's out there in the world? And even Bethel itself, it's hard to get a grasp on the size of it. So at times it feels like a, you know, a small township, all a uh, hereditary, mm-hmm. not hereditary. Her- Midsommar. Midsommar, yeah. Where it's like this small community, a little bit bigger, but not much. Um, And then at other times it feels massive. Yes. You know, hours across in this huge plot of land. It's And yet they have a wall surrounding all of it. Like that's that's big deal. Yeah, it's interesting uh, to think about this. And it's interesting to think about the Holy War and what happened. And, you know, we always hear, and it's very true, history is wrote by the victor. And so it's like, like we're talking about, what's the witch's side of this? What's what's the other side of this? Because we're only getting so much of the story. And how did the black folks come in? Was it this refugee story? How did they end up in exile? You know, um, why is um, the the dark mother depicted as a dark skinned woman? And then is the prophet depicted as white? Like, you just start to churn it over in your head and you're like, where's the truth in all of this? Uh, Of course, it's really beautiful too when Emmanuel starts to get in touch with her roots and she starts to talk to the people on the outside and then she eventually finds her family. Oh my God, I love her grandmother. She's everything. And what I really... What I really liked about her is that is she's described, you know, through the eyes of Emmanuel. Yeah. And she describes her as, you know, wearing men's clothes, wearing yes. clothes. And, and it, it just, you know exactly where she's going with that. Yes. Without it being a thing. Yes. And, I mean, it is a thing. It's very foreign to her. Yes, yes. It's very, because it's very foreign for Bethel. But outside of that, it's just like, it, it, she's just... She's just living her truth. Right. I mean, outside of Bethel, like we've barely even scratched the surface of what's going on outside of Bethel. Um, but yeah, like uh, her her grandma um, is in a lesbian relationship, uh, a loving marriage. And, you know, like Emmanuel got kind of a glimpse of, <laughs> you know, as we said, that sapphic moment with the lovers. But then she's like, she's like, I don't get this. But I am cool with it. <laughs> and it's so wonderful. Emmanuel's just she has such an open heart and it's so refreshing. Um, let us not forget the prophecy that the maiden will bear a daughter and they will call her Emmanuel and she will redeem the flock with wrath and plague. And part of that redemption is obviously we've got to bring people together. Black people, white people, gay people, all of it. And and very importantly, women. Oh, my God. Okay, let's just... I I highlighted this, too, speaking of that. To be a woman is to be a sacrifice. From the writings of Timon, the first wife of the third prophet, Omar. She has these wonderful, wonderful chapter headers, these little quotes. And they are foretelling of the story. They're foretelling of the coming chapter and they help flesh out the world a little bit more for us so i love love those chapter headings 
I want like I don't want to follow it. I don't want to be I don't want to be a member of the church, but I really want to read oh, no. <laughs> I want to read their scripture. Me because too. Because it seems just fascinating. And it's clear that Alexis like she did a lot of work in creating their, you know, their beliefs. Because again, this is somewhere something where she she pulls from a lot of different belief structures. And obviously, I'm the most familiar with with Judeo Christian uh, uh, scriptures. Yeah, and of course. I pulled a lot of those out of it. Yes. But there's there's a lot of stuff that doesn't quite match up with that either. Yeah. That just makes it so unique. It's like someone told these people about Abrahamic religions and then they were just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But then when they went to write it down, they like didn't remember the whole thing. Um and, and they, they kind of like yeah. rewrote it for themselves. And they're like, really. wait, wasn't there something about paganism? Didn't someone mention a mother? Didn't so there was a mother, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the mother in there. Oh, but she's bad. Ah, she's she's okay. Like you know, it's yeah, it's fascinating, and I I want to read their scripture. Um, so <laughs> really sucks to be a woman in Bethel. Um, speaking even more to how shocking it must have been, even though she handled it beautifully, for Emmanuel to see any two women together. Uh, that's because dudes can have multiple wives. Because. Of course they can. Of course they can. Of course they can. That's fine. And if you're the nasty, nasty prophet, you can just take advantage of every female you want, though he obviously manipulates males too, just in a different way. Yes. As far uh, as we know. Oh, the prophet is so disgusting. He's insidious. And it's like it's one of those things where you know he's a bad guy. You've beaten them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's taking advantage of people. He's raping people. He's, I'm sorry to use the R word, but I mean, he is disgusting. It broke my heart when Leah confessed to Emmanuel what had happened and what was going on. And the thing I is, ch- is it, I have chills just thinking about that. It wasn't what I was expecting either, because there's the moment with the bruise. And well, because we know that he does beat wives. Yes. Yeah. And so it's like, it's already completely bad enough. Like you don't need to pile more on top of it. And then to hear that he was grooming her (sighs) and then, and then abusing her was just heartbreaking and disgusting. And the fact that Leah died because of that, she did. She, she did. She did. She 100% died because of him. Um, I was, I couldn't believe that she let him live at the end. I, I like, <sighs> I, I, I get the message. I yeah. understand the message, but man, yeah, that do was I hard. want him dead? That was hard. And she grappled and she struggled and you can see it. You can see, I mean, just the tendrils of the church and the prophet, they go so deep and so poisonous in this community. Um, Another quote that I highlighted is, when she's, I believe she's talking, this is Vera, her grandmother, and she says, um, good people don't bow their heads and bite their tongues while other good people suffer. Good people are not complicit. Um, I think it was really important for that message to be heard because though I do side with Emmanuel that, you know, there are people that are innocent and there are people that have been led astray and there are people that have been manipulated. And so w- perhaps these people are worth saving. That's very important. And that's why, hi, that's why she's here to like save everybody. She's Jesus, basically. <laughs> but um, like only like the most awesome Jesus. Um <laughs> But I mean, it is important 
And we see this now with things that are going on in our world, injustices against Black people and people of color and so much more, that you can't be complicit. It's not enough in any social justice issue to just be like, oh, well, uh, 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 it's no, you have to take some sort you of a stand. You have to take an active, you have to be an active participant for, for change and improvement and in defense of those who need it. Yes. So on the other side of that, however, is Ezra. I like Ezra. I, I'm on the fence about Ezra. Oh. I, I, I like okay here's the thing i like ezra i gotta like i, I do like him because i you know i i always i i do love a character who's like oh you know i'm i'm a good dude kind of guy yeah. but man is he such a martyr but i mean it's kind of what he knows i know it's <laughs> true it's true it's kind of the setting um, but and i think he <sighs> I see Martyr, and I get where you're saying that. I see it more like he wants his life to stand for something. I'm not referring to the things that he does to better the flock. But man, if he stepped in front of her to protect her one more time, like, like, dude, <laughs> she she's the powerful one. Like, yes. like. Step aside, and and yeah, I appreciate yeah, yes. and 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 don't get me wrong. I don't think that that was a mistake. No, no, no. I don't he, think that was a mistake by Alexis at all. Yeah, he's, he's not like, like shoving her out in front of. Her. He's like he's like standing in front of her to protect her, and she's like, "Come my way." Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. what are you gonna do here? This is and you know and, and she goes up to him and says like, yeah. "Hey, I made a deal." And yeah. yes, yes, the prophet's a liar, but she's like, "Hey, I made a deal. This is what you need to do." Yeah, and then he he just decides, "Well, no." I know better and I'm just going to take it all on my back to save her. It's like, come on, man. I, you, you, I, like, you don't make all the decisions here. I think that it is important for us as the reader to see Ezra exude that bravery and that wanting to make his life count for something and to see Emmanuel take a stand against him. So I think that he he kind of needed to do those things he did so that she could rise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um because I do find it very admirable how when she when they first, you know, really meet and she tells that joke about dancing naked in the woods with the devils and he laughs and stuff. He likes her immediately. Yeah. And I mean, maybe he thinks she's beautiful, you know, but he is attracted immediately to her personality like they are they are well matched in that. Oh, yeah. Like they're the, you know. I don't, he's the married to her Jesus. <laughs> and he did come with the best, the best gift. He came with the best gift. He brought a book. Oh, he brings her any loves that she reads and he encourages it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, he's a good, he's a good dude. And I, I appreciate them. And I thought their romance was sweet. Um, I thought it was age and societally appropriate for them because they're breaking the rules of their society. Yeah. But I mean, like, come on now, like being raised the way they were, it wouldn't make sense for them to have like this weird, goofy, overly romantic thing. And I don't know, it just felt it felt appropriate to the pace in the book. Yeah, because, you know, it wasn't like strongly sexually charged. I'm assuming that's kind of what you're referring to. Well, it yeah, was just, yeah. They, they they truly cared about each other. Yeah, he's not like instantly writing her sonnets or anything weird. Yeah. Like, 
but at the same time, um, you know, the you know, they have this 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 respect and love for each other that develops over time. And it just goes to show like, it doesn't matter what all this, what all these scriptures say and all these things that you, oh, you have to do this and you can't do this. Everyone's doing it anyway. They just don't talk to each other about it. Well, of course. They're all I, falling in love with each other on the side. Oh, yeah, and then people they're just are following the rules. People are having affairs. Some people are getting caught. Some people are not I'm sure. There's a hundred percent people who are like, this kind of sucks. Like the food in Bethel sucks. The, <laughs> the way everything is in Bethel sucks, but they can't, it's in such a culture where you have to be utmost secretive. The only unquestionably pious person is Martha. <laughs> Let's talk about Martha real quick. Yeah. So Martha, I think, was a really incredible character to have in this story. Um, I understood Martha, even though I didn't agree with her. She was overbearing and abusive, which is so wrong. But she did it because... She lost her daughter and she wouldn't lose her granddaughter, you know, and it became kind of an obsession and kind of a mission. Um, And that's she's stern. She's kind of cold. But it's like, I got her. I got her so much. And I just totally understood what Alexis was saying with this character. Um, And let us not forget that Emmanuel is 16, 17. She's 16 or 17. 17, I believe. Um, She's young and she's naive because she's from this naive place. So some of the twists and turns in the book, like thinking that her mom cursed her, thinking that Martha hates her. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's something a young person would think she jumps to she jumps to the extremes very quickly when martha wanted to take her place that was one of my tears that that i mean i cried i yeah i i i, I teared up at two different parts it was that when she volunteered as tribute yeah and then when all of the women um, stood in front of Emmanuel at the end. I like it. It's some men too. <laughs> a couple of you, couple of you good ones. Um, just kidding. Um, I cried when Martha did that. I cried when Emmanuel saw the uh the church in the outskirts and saw the uh the images of black people in the stained glass because everybody knows everybody says this don't let it become a trite expression but representation is important and it's important for people to see themselves represented and that was like a perfect example of that and then i cried at the end because it was over (laughs) (laughs) yeah i definitely got a lot of feelings like that entire world and belief structure was whitewashed by by those in Bethel because the the older ruins showed a much more multicultural belief system that was open to everybody and then Bethel just put people in these it, the, the prophets put people in these these categories these areas and basically you know manipulated in them into filling these roles yes. to to make them less than. Yes, and there's such such a theme of punishment in that religion. Um like Abram gets stripped of his things. The, their family was once proud and great. Uh the women get degraded. People get put in the stocks. There's all this there's so much punishment and fear and fear of punishment. It, it's such a a horrifyingly oppressive way to live yeah he really he really really did a number on everybody what's his name mr ford oh that guy i don't like that guy 
Well, even Ford seemed like he was he was not as bad as the uh, the current the prophet. current prophet. But you know his final his final like confession, he admitted to a lot of the same things that the prophet was doing. So it sounds like there definitely is a history from the very beginning of being some pretty shitty practices. Absolutely. Um, and luckily Ezra. And especially Emmanuel, but with her trusty sidekick Ezra at her side, <laughs> she is going to help the people of Bethel and help them heal and help them move forward. And I am obviously chomping for the next book. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see this world open up. I cannot wait to see their relationship develop, Emmanuel and Ezra. I can't wait to see her lead the people. Um I'm very fascinated where we will end up with the father and the mother and how this is all going to shake out. Because I don't think the father and the mother are really diametrically opposed like they have made them out to be in the scriptures. I agree. They're definitely two sides of the, there's two sides of the same coin. Yes. You know, just like, you know, the sun and the moon and all, all of that. But duality. I, I, I agree with you, an earlier statement that you made. I don't think that either side is good or bad. Right. I think they're just gods. And yeah. gods kind of don't care. They have their <laughs> own, they kind of just have their own way of existing. Yeah, they, you know, sometimes gods are uh, portrayed as being very... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, absentee. <laughs> Morality is a human concept. Right. And, you know, it's obvious that people perverted, twisted both the mother and the father. Um, so we've got to figure out where we're going with all of this. And maybe it will be duality. Maybe it will be we need both halves. Uh, or maybe it will be, as I said earlier, um, you just kind of be God. Just be your own God. Yeah. I'm very fascinated. I'm very excited. So perhaps it goes without saying, I give this book five out of five journals. <laughs> um, there is nothing I would change about it. Um, aside from more blood and more gore is always welcome. Uh but there's quite a bit of that. I mean, there's um, all the water goes bloody for a while. Yeah, creepy shit. But I could always use more. But other than that, there's really nothing I would change about this book. I'm giving this book five plagues out of five. <laughs> I agree. This book is not what I expected. It's everything I wanted. <laughs> it's yeah. more than what I, I didn't even know I wanted it before <laughs> I had it. I love it. I'm. I have not been... I can't I have not been this excited about a fantasy realm in a while. Yeah. And listeners, you can probably guess what the last one was. I'm very the Hazelwood. Ex- <clears throat> Sorry, what? The Hazelwood. Um, no. I was actually thinking more of Three Dark Crowns. Well, yeah, but then we had the Hazelwood. I know, in you're right. Well, okay, well, what can I say? Choose. I love oh fantasy. God. I love fantasy. Well, I love them all. Let's not forget about Sean and McGuire taking us through all the doorways. Oh, man. I know, but okay. Okay, apparently. We're, we're excited. <laughs> apparently, we're, I just love fantasy worlds. We just love it. We love, we love going into these worlds that are different than our own. And yet, oddly the same. Scott, I've got to I've got to go lay down. This has been I this is too much. I'm overexcited and I need a nap. I I am going to be reading this book again very soon. I absolutely loved it. I'm so excited to just to see what Alexis has coming up next. And Alexis, I hope you'll join us again when your next book comes out because we cannot wait. Yep. 
We want to thank you all for joining us tonight. Thank you, Alexis, for writing this tremendous book and for being our guest. All right, Scott, say goodnight. All right, Sandra, good night. <laughs> and for everyone else, please keep reading past your bedtime. sock on your leg i don't know i don't know (laughs) i don't know don't ask me about it don't look at it stop looking at it